take your Bibles. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 8 in just a moment. But as uh, somebody said, Pastor Rich, you got this thing that you call being folksy for a little bit, and I need to be folksy for just a hair. Has anybody told you this morning that they love you? Has anybody told you this morning that they love you? And some of you are saying, well, yeah, you know, first thing I rolled out of bed and I got, a, I got an I love you from somebody. I know uh, first thing I got up and my dog came over and licked my face, I was happy. No. <laughs> but in all seriousness, do you know that you're loved? And trust me, at Union Grove Baptist Church, and I stand back there on purpose. I, I like to watch what's going on, see all the other folks participate. I love the, mu the music today, all the different musicians. And I just sit back there, I stand back there, and I just go roll by roll by roll. I know about 95% of the names, and it's just I go through and I pray for you real quick before I come up, and it's, it's just such a joy to see you. And uh, fortunately, we're of a size I still can remember 90%, 95% of the names. I'm still working on a few. Uh, and then the visitors, those of you that are here for the first time, we like to call this the church that God's love is building. And I mean that. And uh, there's no church without you. Uh, the church, in fact, I had a lady call me this week uh, who watches our Prophecy Focus TV uh, on VCY. And uh, she was all, uh, and she, no, nobody's going to know who it is. She doesn't go to our church. She's actually a shut-in. And she was very, very disturbed. And uh, I'm like, what can I help you with? Because I always put my phone number on uh, every broadcast that we do. And she said, well, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make the rapture. And I'm like, well, why not? And I said, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And she says, yes, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, okay, so explain to me what the problem is. She's like, I'm not a member of a church. I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm like, so because, and, and here's what her thought was. Because she was a shut-in, she wasn't able to go to a physical church like Union Grove Baptist Church, she felt she wouldn't get to heaven uh, at the rapture. And I said, oh, I said, I think you, you misunderstood maybe some, uh, a little bit of theology here. Because it's not the church as a building or an organization that gets one to heaven. So when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we were all placed into one body, which is known as the church, the body of Christ. I'm like, it's not the physical building. It's not the membership. It's uh, you being part of, uh, of God's family. And she was so relieved, she started crying on the phone. It's like, oh, that's so good because I just can't get to church. And uh, she has no computer. She has no cell phone. She had none of that. She just has a TV and uh, put her at ease. So, folks, uh, now, now don't take this the wrong way. You need to be here. <laughs> um, but, folks, it's, it, it, isn't it nice to know that uh, you don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to come to the church if you're a shut-in watching on the Internet. Uh, God loves you just as much, and uh, if you've trusted him, yes, you'll be part of that wonderful event known as the rapture, and we'll see in heaven together. Take your Bibles again, Revelation chapter 8. Uh, this uh, Wednesday, we'll be back with Prophecy Focus Global Update. We'll be bringing uh, quite a bit of things to you again this Wednesday. We do a one-hour 
Uh, we, we put it through the internet so it streams live from 7 to 8, so we trust you can be there. Sunday school today. And of course, teenagers, uh, please don't run out of the building. Uh, Sam and uh, or Steve and uh, Lori are out of town today, so uh, come on up. And uh, we'll be talking about, and it's actually a very good uh, uh, subject, we're dealing with relationships and marriage, makers and breakers. Do your parents and family support your friends, relationships, marriage, beware. So you're invited to that. Well, here at the church, we like to say that we peel God's word, God's prophetic word, one passage at a time. And that's exactly what we've been doing as we've been going through verse by verse the book of Revelation. Last week, we started the seven trumpet judgments found in Revelation. Again, the book of Revelation, the Greek word, uh, which most of you should know by now if you've been here, the Greek word is apocalypsis, which mean, which is translated the English word revelation. It means an unveiling and a disclosure, showing things that God had kept, if you will, veiled up until he revealed them in approximately 90 AD when the apostle John was given uh, the book of Revelation. So just, uh, and especially, and for those that are new today, uh, we're, uh, we do go verse by verse through the scriptures. Occasionally I'll teach on uh, something topical, but we're going literally through the book of Revelation in the morning, Romans uh, at 6 p.m. for those that can be here. But a little bit of a timeline for those that may not be uh, familiar with it. So if we look at the uh, left side of the screen, you'll see the cross there. Shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then what started is the church age. Not talking about the local church like Union Grover, talking about the church universal, all those that put their faith and trust in Christ around the world. That is the church, the body of Christ. I'm glad that uh, dear lady called me because if that's a confusing thing, uh, it needs to be set straight. The next major event on God's prophetic timetable is the rapture of the church. What does that mean? It means when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds, in the air, and those that are dead, they'll immediately, that have trusted Christ, will immediately get a transformed body, be brought up to heaven, 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-18. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed, all right? Uh, the next, what takes place after that, next major event on God's prophetic timetable, Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist comes on the scene, confirms a peace treaty with the Jewish people. The Jewish people will then uh, return in mass, if you will, to Israel. And by the way, 50% of all Jewish people around the world have already returned to Israel. You know why? Because Ezekiel 37 prophesied it several thousand years ago that God would draw the Jewish people back. All over the world, Jewish people are returning to Israel. It's a miracle of God. Remember, 1948 was when Israel became a country again, or a state, as uh, it's better well called. They had a few hundred thousand people at that time, Jews. Now they have 7.5 million Jewish people since 1948 from all over the world being drawn like a magnet back to Israel. Is God's word true? Absolutely. Do his prophecies come true? Absolutely. What we're looking at in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 4 all the way through the end at verse 22, or chapter 22, is things that have not happened yet. God gave us the advanced newspaper of things that will be taking place in the 
future after the rapture of the church. So Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is literally when the rapture uh, would be documented. Then verse 2 all the way through the end of Revelation are all things that are yet to take place. So it's extremely interesting and we'll be looking at that today. The seven-year tribulation period is broken up into two sections. The first three and a half years is a pseudo-peace for the Jewish people. The Antichrist makes the covenant, allows them to build their Jewish temple in Jerusalem, which they haven't had since AD 70 when the Romans tore it down. They'll rebuild that, uh, not rebuild, they will build a third temple. It's prophesied in multiple places. They will come back. They will worship uh, uh, their Old Testament ways. These are not Christians. They're not saved people. These are unsaved Jews that will return and will practice the, if you will, the law, the sacrificial system. After the first three and a half years, Daniel 9, 27. Again, key verse. We talk about it often. After the first three and a half years, the Bible makes it very clear that Antichrist will put a halt to the worship of if you will, Yeshua, uh, speaking of God the Father. The Antichrist will step in, Revelation chapter 13. He'll put up a false image to the Antichrist himself. False prophet will put it up, part of the satanic trinity. And at that point, the Jewish people will be scattered once again across the earth. The Bible tells us, Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9, that two-thirds of all the Jewish people will die at that time. That means that the worst holocaust of the Jewish people is yet to come. The six million people that died at the end of the Second World War is, uh, will pale compared to the number of Jewish people that will die uh, during the uh, end, middle part of the tribulation period. Spoken of in multiple places, again, Zechariah 13, 8, 9, Matthew chapter 24, other parts of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. Now, did you all get that? <laughs> That's a quick introduction. We've gone through these, and if you're new, most of our folks are fairly familiar with what I just reviewed. If you're not, don't be discouraged. It's like there's a, it takes a while. I've been uh, preaching this stuff for 40 years, and I'm still learning stuff uh, constantly as we study. So don't feel bad if you missed it. All these messages, by the way, are on sermonaudio.com, video as well as audio. You can always review these or go to our website uh, as well for my Union Grove Baptist Church. All right, so what are we looking at now? The first three and a half years, we talked about Revelation chapter 6, the seven seal judgments. Now, as of last week, we're moving into the next section. Now, if you'll see, those arrows are not touching anything. There's debate among scholars as to the exact time when the seven trumpet judgments will take place. Without a shadow of a doubt, we know that the seal judgments will take place during that first three and a half years. We know that the next major set of judgments after the trumpet judgments, known as the bowl or vial judgments, vial meaning like a test tube in your King James Version, we know that those will be at the end of that seven-year period. Scholars debate over where exactly the trumpet judgments fall. Are they part of the first half? Are they part of the second half? Are they and that's where the debate goes. So the issue is, I can't tell you exactly what time they start and what time they end, but I can tell you that exactly as God said, they will happen. And they will happen somewhere within that time period. So what we're looking at again will not take place while the church is on this earth. These are judgments against the earth to prepare 
for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to physically not just come in the air to take the church home, to physically come to this earth in Jerusalem, set his feet on the top of Mount of Olives, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 4, Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. When Jesus will return, he'll set his feet on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will separate in two. The Lord Jesus will then go out, fight the battle of Armageddon. How many of you heard of Armageddon? All right, it is a real true battle. It is not something like the media likes to use as uh, talking about a horrible event that's taking place in today's world. It is a future prophetic battle that will take place when Jesus Christ literally comes to this earth and will wipe out his enemies. Revelation 16. 16 is the only place that word is used, Armageddon. So, we're looking at events before Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom that will purge the earth of evil. Now, folks, if you turned on your radio today or turned on your television or looked at your cell phones, is there trouble in the world today? <laughs> is there trouble in our own world today? Yes. Is there trouble in America today? Folks, we're seeing unprecedented things taking place, which is why we're doing Prophecy Global Updates on Wednesday nights to fill you in on how do you deal with all the nonsense going on in the world today. By the way, here's my one little statement for the day. My one little opinion. It is so easy right now to get wrapped up in the horrible things that are taking place. We look at the governments, we look at the world, we look at what's happening right here in our own country, and many folks are like, what are we going to do? We've got to fight this. We've got to fight, fight, fight. And I'm not against fighting, uh, uh, if you will, from, uh, for a good cause, but let me remind us. Fighting what's taking place in America today is not what God has called the church to do. God has called the church, his people to do one thing, and that is to fulfill his mission. Let's go to it. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. What is the mission of God's people? Now, I didn't intend to go here, but you forced me. <laughs> Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here's what it says. Here is the mission of Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man has come to do what? To seek and to save that or those who are what? Lost. That is the mission. When, the, when, when you get together with a, a, a group of people in the military, like you're watching, if you've watched the news recently, you'll see Afghanistan, that all of a sudden a bunch of troops are being sent there. They have a mission. The mission is to evacuate American people and get them out of Afghanistan and bring them home. That's the mission. There's no side. Everything else is to get that mission accomplished. And Jesus said, here's the mission. I'm going to use the word again, church. <laughs> Jesus Christ came in the world to seek and to save those who are lost. One more, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. If you'd stop asking questions, I could get to the message. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15, you say, why are you making, it, making us turn to it? Because if we don't know God's mission, we can't accomplish what he's called us to do. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, in the new, in the, uh, uh, if you will, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 
The Apostle Paul was told this, 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? Save sinners. That is our mission. Now, let me make it real clear because I know some of you are ready to punch me in the nose right now. You're like, Brother Rich, don't you understand? We've got to fight for our rights. We've got to do the right things in America. We've got to uh, be active uh, politically. We've got to vote. And you know what I say to all that? I agree. But social causes, politics, government, all of those things are second to what God's called his people to do, which is to reach out as just took place here. Vacation Bible School, I don't think we talked once about anything except Jesus. And because of that, at least what I've been told, we have two young people who trusted Christ as their personal Savior. Now, folks, when somebody's heart gets changed, when their life gets changed, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus all those other things all of a sudden become a moot issue because you know what? Their minds now are going to start being focused on what Jesus wants instead of what the world wants. And all of a sudden, there's two less people we got to worry about doing wrong. Folks, that's what changes America. If my people, 1 Chronicles seven fourteen, which are called by my name, shall what? Shall humble themselves, shall pray, shall seek my face, shall turn from their wicked ways, then and then only God said to the Jewish people, I will hear from heaven, I will hear their prayers, and I'll heal their land. So folks, I'm off. You want to fight the social causes, you want to get involved in politics, go for it. But, in the process, don't miss what we were called to do, which is tell the gospel to people. Every time you share the gospel with somebody who's unsaved, with somebody who is fighting the things, the very things that you know are wrong in your minds, what's the first thing you should think about doing? Fighting the politics or telling them about Jesus? You tell them about Jesus, guess what? The mind changes. Amen. Ah, isn't that good? Yes. All right. Sorry about that little interlude. All right, let's go to the seven trumpet judgments. Revelation chapter 8 will review the first on the screen is exactly how the progression will take place. Revelation chapter 6, we had the seal judgments. We went through those. The seventh seal judgment, which is opened up in Revelation chapter 8, contains all of the trumpet judgments, which we're, we'll look at today. The seventh trumpet will then open up into the seven bowl or vile judgments. Again, Revelation chapter 10 has one other set of seven judgments that the, that the Lord does not reveal. They're known as the thunder judgments. We'll get to those in a couple of weeks. When you start to understand, and folks, especially if you're new today or you're not familiar with Revelation, when we start to unfold what God's going to be doing in the future, it's going to get your attention. All right, so very quickly, we looked at the first three trumpet judgments last week, catastrophic land disasters, one-third of all seas in the world will be destroyed, one-third of the rivers and springs contaminated. I look at the trumpet judgments, and in red, you'll see a dominant concept. In that middle of the tribulation period, one-third of all major resources are going to be destroyed. One-third. I like to call these the one-third 
judgments. When we progress past the trumpet judgments and go to that last set, known as the vile or bull judgments, guess what percentage of all these things gets destroyed? 100%. In other words, all the things that we're looking at that God is slowly revealing, and we like to compare this again, we keep bringing up this concept, birth pains. As a lady is in labor, the pains become closer together and more intense. That's exactly how these judgments were meant. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 8, it talks about uh, uh, the, the tribulation time, the great sorrows. Those sorrows literally from the original are speaking about the birthing pain. So let's move forward. All right, Revelation chapter 8, verse 7, the first angel sounded as review, hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Remember, this is the second set of judgments. That first set of judgments, the sealed judgments, we already know there's going to be tremendous famine on the earth. Now it's going to be exponentially increased to where literally when you go out to the farm fields, one-third of all the trees will be uh, uh, burned up. And what? All green grass. In other words, when I drove in on Highway 45 this morning and I go by the beautiful fields, some of them now being harvested, that won't exist won't exist. All green grass will be burned up. Crops will be destroyed. Remember back in the sealed judgments, what percentage of the humanity has been wiped out already? One-fourth of 7.3 billion people, if the numbers stay the same, one-fourth of them have already died in those first six sealed judgments. That would be 1.8 billion people. That is beyond belief. The Bible tells us that there'll be pestilences, there'll be other things. When you have one-fourth of your world's population dying, the streets are going to be infested with rats and rodents and animals, death everywhere, stench everywhere. It's a judgment. Again, if you're here this morning, you do not need to go through those judgments. If you've trusted Christ, you'll be raptured with the rest of us. One-third of all the trees will be destroyed. All green grass will be destroyed. Then we looked at the second trumpet sounding, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown in the sea. A third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So last week, uh, we looked at this. We have a tremendous uh, something comes, a massive meteor, something that God allows to come down and cause a third of these things to be destroyed. Can you imagine walking out of your uh, uh, villa and looking out into the sea and it's extreme blood, death everywhere, fish have died, horrible, horrible, catastrophic things, no water. Can you imagine coming up to the shores and seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of fish that have died overnight? Can you imagine uh, uh, the, the, the horrific stench and the smell as the rivers are, are filled with these dead fish in one-third of the places? Can you imagine being in a place like uh, one of the ports, such as Seattle or somewhere, and, and you look out and there's nothing but blood for a third, and you all of a sudden you find out that the uh, massive amount of the ships, a third of all ships have been destroyed. By the way, uh, uh, cooling uh, many of your boats, if many of you have boats, and uh, try, try putting blood through the cooling system and see how that works. Horrible. 
Next one we looked at last week. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was bitter. Now, you know about some folks, and you, maybe you've seen them on documentaries or on uh, uh, different things like from National Geographic, and men, women, they go out, they start hiking. They're out in the wilderness, and they get lost. And all of a sudden, they need water to drink, and you can't survive very long without water. And they'll go to some spring, and it's like, don't drink the water. Fight through it. The thirst, if you will, builds up inside of someone. They can't resist. They can't stop. They go to wherever they see water, and they scoop it into their mouth, and ah, it tastes good going in. But the dysentery follows, or the death follows afterwards because it's bitter, it's poisonous, and it ends up killing people. That's exactly what's going to happen during this time period. People will go out, the water will be made, if you will, wormwood, it's bitter, it's horrible, they can't resist, they drink the water, and the Bible says many people will die because of that. You say, why would God do that? Why would God be? And God says, you know, if you, you simply would do one thing, if you come to Jesus, if you trust in him, and people say, nope, not going to do that. You say, but... Why didn't somebody tell me? Oh, you know how many folks will be screaming that out during the tribulation period? Well, folks, that's why we preach the whole word of God, because maybe somebody's sitting here this morning, you've refused to trust Christ. Maybe you're watching on the Internet today, and you just said, I can't trust Jesus. I can't put my faith and trust in him. And we're telling you what's going to happen if it happens in our generation. Folks, this is real. Next. So we have this, this uh, meteor, whatever it is, comes down, hits the, the, the rivers, and a third of them will be made bitter. All these horrible things are coming, massive amount of uh, waters are being destroyed, animal life is being destroyed, ships are being destroyed. Then the third angel sound, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, it fell on a third of the rivers and the waters, wormwood, why? Because it, make, it is bitter and it literally will kill people. The word wormwood here, back from the original Greek, what is it talking about? It's poisonous, it's bitterness, it's gall, it's bile. How many of you would drink any of that type of thing? Absolutely not, but people will because there will be such a shortage of clean water. Horrible stench, horrible, horrible waters, things that will infect people and just be disastrous for their lives. Cattle will be in the same type of situation where they'll be poisoned. You're taking away food supplies. You're taking away water supplies. It becomes absolutely a horrible, terrible, horrifying place to live. Now we get into the fourth trumpet. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now, if we got into all of the repercussions of what happens when you take away one-third of all the light sources, what's going to take place? Well, folks, when you look at it, it's going to mess up a whole lot of things on this earth. God designed the world to work with the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything is synced so that everything works together so the planet functions properly. And God says, I'm going to mess it up. Valerie and I, we were driving home last night. I forget where we were. 
maybe it was tonight, I think it was actually the night before. And she looked out and she's like, man, it's getting dark early. What happens when you start taking away the darkness that you've enjoyed during the summer? Now, some of you say, well, I get to put the kids to bed earlier. That's good. <laughs> Sorry, kids. But, I mean, you like to go outside, and it's 9 o'clock at night, and the sun's shining, and it's like you sit, sit out in your favorite place, and you enjoy it, and, ah, this is great. And all of a sudden, it's 8 o'clock, and it's, man, it's dark out. Skeeters are out. Skeeters, that's uh, southern for mosquitoes. And it's not pleasant. But that's just a little teeny piece of this. When all of a sudden all these things start to go bad, when all of a sudden uh, you start to lose the effectiveness of the sun and a third of it is taken away, it's going to affect a whole lot of things. Loss of heat, and here's a little insight, loss of heat from the sun will cause temperatures to plunge drastically all over the world. I think this is kind of like the polar opposite, pun intended, of climate change. This will disrupt the Earth's weather patterns and the sea's tides, leading to violent, unpredictable storms and tides, the destruction of crops, and further loss of animal and human lives. Let me take you back to last week. One year ago, same uh, uh, week that we had Vacation Bible School on, I know now when it's time for vacation Bible school because it's the worst storms of the year hit. Last year, as you recall, those of you that were here, and we've, we've talked about it quite a few times, the first day of vacation Bible school, we got hit with a horrific storm. We had our own, as I said, we had our own water pool that began to form downstairs right as VBS was starting. Men and ladies jumped down there, started to clean up the building, got it cleaned up. We were able to do vacation Bible school, not in a couple of the rooms. We had some folks from the church. They went out front, and they dug Justin and I know Kevin and some others that were here, dug gigantic trenches, uh, put in, if you will, drain system. We had the same kind of storms come through here this year. We did not have a water pool this year, a water park. You know why? Because these people dug in, literally, got these things done, and uh, we didn't have water come into the building this year. And thank you to those that, that did that. And Justin, uh, we all owe you for that. That's a tremendous thing that got done. We just put a brand new big giant humidifier downstairs, and it's running at 50 right now. It started at 76% last week. We're down to 50%. So things are working. The building's comfortable. Do you like the air conditioning? Well, thank yourselves for putting it in. <laughs> but a lot of folks, you know, the stuff that, and don't look out the window, but I'm pointing to it, those big giant air conditioning units. You didn't have air conditioning in this building, uh, specifically the gym a year ago. You got it now. In fact, some of the ladies coming there are like, man, it's cold in here. Thank the Lord it's cold in here. <laughs> but folks, that's, that's the kind of things. But God says there's coming a day when uh, the heat's going to be cranked up and one-third of the sun, the moon, the stars, if you will, will be darkened. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, part of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus' powerful prophetic preaching stated, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. So the moon that normally you'd go out and say, Oh, it's a brand new moon. Not going to be there like normal. It will have a third missing. When you look out into the, into the atmosphere, things will not be beautiful like once were, but there will be a tremendous darkness, depression. God trying to get a hold of people's uh, 
attention as to what's taking place. Well, Revelation chapter 8, verse 12, And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. What God is now signaling at this point of Revelation, he's like, you think it's been bad. You think it's been horrible. You think a fourth of the people have died. You think many others have died from the things, and it's been horrible, hasn't it? Have I gotten your attention? Why hasn't somebody told me this? Well, based on the volume of my voice, you're, you're being told. <laughs> you know about it. You're seeing what exactly God is going to be doing. And now God says, you think that was bad. Hang on. But yes, there's more. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What God is saying in those, those three times that, that uh, if you will, that massive point that he's making, he is literally screaming out. It's going to get much worse. That's exactly what he's saying. All right, let's move on. So what are we going to look at? Here's a cute little chart. Uh, stole it from Charles Ryrie, one of the great uh, uh, individuals that spoke on the end times, wrote about it, and I borrowed his chart. Now, we're looking at the, the seven seal judgments again. They open up into the seven trumpet judgments. That's where the one through seven are representing the seven trumpet judgments. Trumpet number five, six, and seven, which we'll try and get through yet today, are also known as the three woes. By the way, trumpet number seven includes all the rest of the judgments that we'll be looking at, specifically the vile judgments and the thunder judgments. So those three woes, God's saying, are going to accentuate, it's going to get worse and more powerful judgments are coming. So all of this is connected, and he's giving the people a fair warning as to what's coming. All right, we've looked at that. Let's stop for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 4. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The Bible says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Folks, that is the gospel. That is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which we read together a few minutes ago, where God says, Wait a second. My mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means lost in your sin. It means lost and not on your way to heaven. It means a guarantee of going to a place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. And God says, listen, if you don't trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the rapture, the taking away of God's people happens in your lifetime, all these things that we're talking about, you will go through. Now, folks, that should get our attention. Why didn't anybody tell me? Folks, we're, we're making it very clear. There is a way to escape all of this because God does not want one single person to go through this. The only people that will go through this are those that have rejected the gospel. They've rejected Jesus Christ. You say, but wait a minute. You know, I don't quite get that. I, I, I come to church. I'm here. I understand that, that uh, you know, I get that gospel that we're all sinners. 
I, I know I've sinned. And, and I get the fact from the gospel that because I've sinned, if I got what, would I, what I deserved, I'd have to go to hell. But I know, I know I, I get this thing that Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. I, I understand all that, so why would I have to get judged? Because he didn't do point number four. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're condemned. Yes, Jesus did all that. But if it just is a head knowledge, it does you no good. You said, well, then what do I have to do? What has God called me to do? Well, here's exactly what he's called you to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And we've gone through this, but if you're here, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Here's how you can avoid all this. There's only one way. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace, God's free, unmerited gift are you saved. It's through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. You see, here, here it is, and we're going to close with this this morning. We'll finish, uh, we'll get into chapter 9 next week with the rest of the judgments. Where are you going to go when you die? Where are you going? I want you to think about that for a moment. You just looked at four horrible judgments that God will be bringing on this earth to get people's attention. And God said, if you'd listen today, if I got your attention today, I'll keep you from all this mess that's coming. If it ha- again, we don't know when it's going to happen. If it happens in our lifetime, though, you're going to face this. And God says, listen, remember the first thing I said, I'm going down with Tabitha. Remember the first thing I said this morning was, has anybody told you they loved you today? Anybody told you they loved you? And God says, listen, I'm telling you, I love you. I love you. There's no offense about it. God, Jesus said, I love you. John 3.16, you all know the verse. For God so loved the world, that's each and every one of us, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, anybody that will believe in him should not but have everlasting life. And God says, you see all that? Ah, horrible things. That's what God's going to do to purge the earth of all those who refuse to do what you can do right now. Right now. I don't care if this is your first time here. I don't care if you've been here 100,000 times. God has a free gift he wants to give every single one this morning. I had I got to share this quick story and I'll be done. During vacation Bible school, a gentleman came up to me and started sharing with me, and I'm going to ask him to come and share his testimony here one day. And he said, Rich, he said, here's what happened to me. He said, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church every single week. I went to Christian school. I am a graduate of one of the best Christian universities, and he named it. I won't name it. It's a good school. I went to one of the best Christian universities, and he did. And you know what his next thing he said was? I just got saved a couple years ago. And I said, brother, you're a victim of cultural Christianity. And he says, you bet you I am. 
You see, he grew up in a good Christian home. Mom and dad took him to church. He grew up with uh, uh, one of his relatives being a preacher. He grew up hearing the gospel constantly like everybody in this church hears every single week. He grew up hearing all these things. He grew up thinking, hey, if I'm living in a garage, I must be a car. If I come to church, I must be a Christian. And he was lost without Christ, bound for a Christless, hell-bound eternity. All of a sudden, the blinders came off. The cultural Christianity came off. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I need to do something with Jesus. I've never done that. I've gone through all the... Folks, this guy would have been... If, if you would, we, he's preached in churches but didn't know Jesus. And he said, Pastor, he says, you know how many churches have pastors that aren't saved? I said, I have no idea, neither do you, but okay. You say, why'd you just tell us all that? Here's why. Because if one person in this church has been coming here since you're a little child and you've been trusting in whatever mom and dad did and you're like, well, I've been through all the steps, I've done all the things, I've, I've filed the rituals, I've, done, I've gone to the right schools, I must be going to heaven. And God says, sorry, not a one of those things works. Not a one. You say, what does work? All right, you ready? And I'm done. Number one. Do you realize you're a sinner? You say, yep, absolutely. Do you realize because you sinned, Romans 6.23, that the wages of your sin is death, eternal separation from God? You're like, yeah, I get that. I've known that for all my life. Do you understand that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on a cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose again from the dead? Yes, I understand that here. Now God says it's time to get serious. It's time to take all of the things that you've been doing all your life, all the good things you've done all your life, and throw them in the garbage. You say, well, then what do I need to do? Right now, this very moment, Jesus is calling you because he loves you and he wants to change your life. And that can only happen when you do what he said. For by grace, God's free unmerited gift. Are you what? Are you saved? Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of hell. For by grace, God's free gift, are you saved? It's through faith and faith alone. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Not anything you've done, not of works, lest any person should boast. Who needs to get saved today? I don't think I've ever asked that question in this church. Who needs to get saved today? There's people in this room, I don't know who you are, you need to trust Christ today. If you don't, Everything we've looked at, it's not meant to be a scare tactic, but folks, it's for real. It's coming. Just like you never thought the whole world would get locked down from a virus, it's here. It's coming. It's come. It got our attention. And I'm trying to get your attention today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I pray now in these final moments, Lord, this is serious, serious business that we're going to do this very moment. And Lord, we've seen just a fraction of the horrible things that we'll be studying this next several weeks that are going to happen in this very world to all those that are left behind that have not truly placed their faith and trust in you. 
If you're here this morning, first of all, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're saved, you have absolutely, positively put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Nobody's looking about what you just say as a testimony, Brother Rich. I know I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? God bless you. You can put them down. There's a lot of folks that couldn't raise their hand this morning. It's time to trust Christ. It's time to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Do you understand the gospel is for you this morning? God is not willing that any should perish. Today is the day of salvation. Are you ready? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus and stop trying to do this on your own? You can trust him this very moment. Are you ready? Are you ready to give your life to Christ? You say, Brother Rich, I am ready. I understand. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I believe Jesus did it all on the cross. He paid the price for my sin, and I want to trust Jesus so that I know one day I too will go to heaven. Is that you this morning? Right there where you are, whether you're seated here in the auditorium or they're watching on the internet, right here, right now, would you give your life to Jesus? Would you accept his free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in him. That's what you need to do. Why didn't anybody tell me? I just told you. Are you ready to do it? Would you tell him in your own words, dear God, something like this. I'll help you with a little prayer. The prayer isn't what saves you, but it's your faith that will. But why don't you tell him right now what's happening in your heart. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But this very moment, this very moment, I finally get it. I finally understand that Jesus paid the entire penalty for my sin in his death, burial, and resurrection. In this very moment, I'm accepting that free gift of eternal life by placing my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Did you just give your heart and life to Jesus by taking his eternal gift of eternal life. Say, Brother Rich, I did it. I've just trusted Christ. Now, I don't want to embarrass you in any way. I promise you we're not going to call you up or make you do anything, but I'd like to pray for you this morning. If you're here this morning, say, Brother Rich, I've, I've finally done it. I finally got it. I finally understand the gospel. I put my faith and trust in Jesus this morning. Every head's bowed, every eye closed, please. Would you just pop your hand up? Say, Brother Rich, I've trusted Christ this morning. Nice and high, please, so I can see you. God bless you. Someone else this morning can put those down. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Jesus as my personal Savior. We want to pray for you. God bless those that have already raised your hands. Anyone else this morning? I'm trusting Jesus as my personal Savior. Father, I pray that you'd seal these decisions. Thank you so much for what you've done this morning. I pray for uh, the several that well, lifted their hands this morning and putting their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, would you please help them uh, uh, to stay grounded, uh, to understand the scriptures, and please would they, uh, you help them to come back here so we can help them grow in their walk with Christ. Father, we commit them to you. Thank you for your wonderful grace and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.